This is the Hope Church Mill Creek Podcast, and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border, mostly in smaller rural communities. Our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcasts or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. Whenever I was a teenager, my family moved to a little town called Walkertown, North Carolina. Anybody ever been to Walkertown, North Carolina? One person. Two people. It's um, Walkertown is not a big place. At least it wasn't a big place whenever I was growing up. It's much bigger than the town that I live in now. Uh, Stoneville's not very big at all. He's right. There is nothing there. Uh, we have Debbie's, which is the best breakfast around. Biscuits and gravy are amazing. They take tenderloin, and they'll dip it in the gravy and put it on a piece of, on a biscuit, cat head biscuit. It's the best thing ever. So if you ever come to Stoneville, Debbie's is what you want to visit. Maybe not Hope Church, but it's, it's a great <laughs> breakfast place. But Walkertown is a little town that I grew up in. And when we moved there, my parents joined uh, the Kerwin Baptist Church. It was a larger church. Uh, it's much larger even still today. Uh, every summer, the church, uh, Kerwin, would put up a big blue and white tent in the parking lot. Uh, from the road, it would look like we're having a circus. And if you ever were underneath the tent, it felt like it was a circus sometimes. But they'd put up this big blue and white tent, and we would have revival. Most of the time, the, the meeting was scheduled to last for two weeks. Now, very seldom did they ever only go for two weeks. My senior year... Uh, the tent meeting that they had there in the parking lot lasted for 16 weeks. The pastor would invite local singers to come, local choirs from different churches to come and preach. He would find the best preachers around, the big name heavy hitters, uh, in, you know, in our circle at least. He would invite preachers to come and, and preach. At the end of every sermon that one of those preachers would preach, he would always do this. He would always say, would you now bow your head and, and close your eyes? We've all heard that before. And at the end of the sermon, you would hear playing softly in the background, just as I am, or I surrender all. We all remember those meetings. And during that moment of meditation and silence, the preacher would always invite us to come to the front and make a decision based on what he had just preached. Every sermon presented a choice. Now, I remember one night in particular, God had so moved in my heart that when the preacher gave the invitation, I couldn't help but surrender my life to Jesus to follow him into ministry. 
I went down to the front and finally and fully gave my life to Jesus. Now, I'd been saved for years, but I wasn't all that committed to following Christ. I actually took a pencil and a Kleenex, a tissue, and I made myself a makeshift flag out of that pencil and tissue. And underneath the tent, what we would do is we would cover the ground with pine shavings. And I took a handful of those pine shavings and I made a mound and I stuck my white flag of surrender in that mound and I gave my life and it's entirely to Jesus. Now the choice that I had to make was my choice to make. No one could make it for me. And that night I told Jesus that I would live for him. Anything he asked me to do, I would do it. Anywhere he sent me, I would go. I said yes to Jesus. And as I said, that choice was mine. No one else could make that choice for me. I had to make that choice for myself. And that choice altered my entire life. I was preparing, at least I was hoping, to go to law school and become a lawyer. Eventually, I wanted to become a judge and then maybe even move into politics. I thought maybe it would be cool to be a congressman or a senator. And I probably wouldn't have made it that far, but that was going to be my pursuit. But God changed things for me. And choosing Jesus and his will for my life changed everything for me and about me. In that moment, I didn't realize it at the time, I was actually committing my life to Jesus to be his disciple. I was committing my life to follow him and to obey the things that he taught. At that moment, I was committing my life to a journey of growing to be like Jesus in character and in behavior, which by the way, I'm still on that journey and I will be on that journey until I see Jesus face to face. Throughout the gospel records, we find Jesus confronting people with this same choice. Choose me and my will for you, or choose yourself and your own plans. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we read about Jesus' call to Peter and Andrew. The Bible tells us while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Peter and Andrew said yes to Jesus. They entered into a relationship with Jesus and they committed their lives to Jesus to obey everything that he would teach them for the next three, three and a half years. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, we read about Jesus confronting a rich young man with the exact same choice. The text tells us, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? 
Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your Go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This poor rich man said no to Jesus. There were too many things in his life that mattered to him. And it's not that those things shouldn't matter. They just shouldn't matter more than Jesus. This man had such an allegiance to his possessions that he was unable to give his life to Jesus. This is so true of people even today. And this might be true of some of you. Are you so attached to this world, to the things that you own, to the friends that you have, to the pleasures that you seek, that Jesus is not an option for you? There are people in hell right now that chose to live for things and they chose to live for sex and they chose to live for drugs. They chose to live for their career and maybe even they chose to live for their families and their friends, but they didn't live for Jesus. They chose to pursue happiness instead of Jesus. They couldn't have it their way and Jesus' way at the same time, so they chose their way, convinced that they were okay, or maybe they were convinced that they had more time to re-choose later if they wanted to. They chose their way. and Now they're dealing with the consequences of their choice. Let me submit to you this morning that you cannot have it your way and God's way. You can't live for the things this world entices you with and for the Savior at the same time. This last week I visited a man who has stage 4 prostate cancer. He's a dear friend of mine. He was a part of the church that I planted. His wife, him and his wife are very special people to me. I found out last Sunday that he had cancer and I, I went to see him this last week and it was the same old Al Millen. He didn't act like he had cancer. He sat at that table and we talked and goofed and joked. And Every time I get around Al, he wants to talk about Jesus. And I, I mean, I love Al for that. While we were talking, he asked me a question. He asked me if I knew why there were so many fake Christians. Before I could answer, he blurted in and said, it's because they don't understand that repentance means change. And I think he's right, but I also think that there are many people who are confronted with the choice to follow Jesus and they say no because they do understand that repentance means change and they don't want to change, so they choose not to follow Jesus. They say no to Jesus because they don't want to give up their lifestyle. They don't want to give up their own pleasures. They don't want to give up what they want to do in favor of what Jesus wants them to do, they say no. They want this world. They want the inappropriate sex, the alternative lifestyles, the drunkenness. They want the parties. They want the money. They want the prestige and the fame. They want what it takes to make their flesh happy, and they say no in order to get what it takes to keep and make their flesh happy. Time and again, we read about Jesus confronting would-be followers with this choice. 
Will you follow me or not? Will you enter my kingdom or not? As I've mentioned a moment ago, your pastor, Josh, has been preaching through what I think is the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. It's my all-time favorite passage of Scripture to read. Those three chapters blow my mind every time I sit and read them. I've preached through the Sermon on the Mount probably five times in my ministry, and every time it's different. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It is, as I said, my favorite. Josh has been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that you, you, you'll remember this. Josh probably mentioned this at the introduction of the series. Jesus is preaching to a very large crowd. And in verse 13 of chapter 7, we find the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Jesus' conclusion, he invites the crowd to make a choice. He gave them an invitation and he says, Choose me in the things that I have just said. He has just spent 40 minutes preaching a sermon on the side of this hill and he has said a lot of things. And he looks at this crowd that's sitting before him and he gives them this choice. Choose me and the things that I have just said or choose yourself and your own personal pursuits. Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 13 and reading through verse 27. Matthew writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit he says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And I love this phrase, and great was the fall of it. As I've said, these words conclude the Sermon on the Mount. If you recall, Jesus was surrounded by people who he had healed. He was surrounded by people who came to him wanting to be healed. He was surrounded by people who heard that he was a great teacher, so they came to hear what he had to say. Word had gotten around 
that Jesus was a great miracle worker and a phenomenal teacher, and so crowds had gathered around Jesus, and what we have just read is the conclusion of the sermon that he had preached to them. When people came to him, he informed them that the kingdom of heaven had come. The healing they received was a demonstration of his kingdom. It was a preview of what life will be like in his kingdom. And what I mean is that in his kingdom, sin has no power, which means in his kingdom we find no disease, no disabilities, no death. The miracles Jesus performed, they proved that he was the Messiah, and it proved that his kingdom is a place where sin and the consequences of sin has no place. His kingdom is here, excuse me, his kingdom is not here in a physical sense right now, but it will be. One day, we're all looking forward to that day. I know that I am. And one day, his, when his kingdom is finally fully and physically established, all sin and every consequence of sin will be finally and fully eliminated. Amen. The outcome of every miracle that Jesus performed was a demonstration of what life will be like in his kingdom. We see in Matthew chapter 4 that a large crowd had gathered around Jesus and had witnessed what his kingdom would be like when they watched him perform his miracles. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sat before them and explained what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom, which is the same as what it means to be one of his disciples. We find in the book of Matthew that there's not a distinction between being a member of his kingdom and being one of his disciples. It's the exact same thing. If you want to be welcomed into his kingdom, when this life is over, you must submit to being his disciple before it is over. That's the point of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 contain this explanation. In the verses that we read a moment ago, Jesus looked at the crowd. I don't know if you can imagine this, but when I read the text, I think of Jesus sitting there, and I think of him looking out at the crowd. He's remembering everything he's just said, and he tries to provoke them to decide to follow him. And he looks out over the crowd, and he tells them that entering his kingdom, that being his disciple, it means that your life demonstrates the things that he has just spoken. If you're a citizen of his kingdom, then everything that he has just said is going to be true of you. If you're a disciple, that means that the things that he has just preached and the things that he has just said is true of you, or rather is becoming true of you. In so doing, what he does is he issues to every person before him the option of being his follower Will you be a citizen of my kingdom? Will you be my disciple? This call to discipleship began with a warning if you're following along in the text. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to enter my kingdom, the gate that you will enter is narrow and the journey difficult. In comparison, the other gate is wide and that road is broad. And notice that, that there's only two options. There's his kingdom and then there's the other kingdom. Ultimately, the choice is destruction or life. That's the only choice. Destruction or life. 
Verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I don't want you to read too much into what the gate is or what the road is. There are a lot of people who like to over-spiritualize or mysticize, if you will, a text whenever they come to it. Jesus is not giving secret truth and allegory. Don't read into what Jesus is trying to say. He's being very, very clear with his message, as he always is. And the point that he was making is this. Discipleship or kingdom living is difficult. Whereas the alternative is much easier. He referred to the one way as wide. And he did so because that way is accommodating to the lifestyle and whatever lifestyle you want to bring to it. Those who travel the wide road bring, they can take all the luggage that they want. They can keep all their worldliness, their materialism, they can keep their lust and their anger, they can keep their self-centeredness, they can keep their arrogance, they can keep their pride, they can keep all that they want on the wide, broad road. There are no restrictions. There's also no persecution. There's no martyrdom. On that road, the world isn't out to get you because the world is your friend. If you agree with and live like the world, life will be easy for you. In fact, the world will cheer you on and might even reward you on that road. But if you choose the narrow gate, if you choose the narrow road, if you choose heaven over this world, if you choose to be the disciple of Jesus, you have to surrender some things. Actually, you have to surrender one thing. Your life. Your life will not be yours anymore. It will belong to Jesus. Choosing Jesus means you die to you and you set aside what you want in life in order to pursue what Jesus wants for your life. If you do this, your life will begin to look like Jesus. Your life will continue to become and to look more like Jesus as you travel down this road. This means that you'll live differently than those who are on the other road. It won't be easy. As a matter of fact, verse 14 tells us that it will be difficult. This word difficult is an interesting word. If you are a word nerd like me and you open study books and you study words, I think etymology is the study of words. If you like to study words, this word difficult is very interesting. It's translated from a Greek word that referred to a press, like a great press. Anybody know what a great press is? Very few people. You guys look a little older than me. I figured you would know what a great press was. A great press is a device that crushed grapes in order to extract juice from them in order to make wine. The idea that Jesus is trying to get across is that the road of discipleship is full of trouble. It's full of affliction, distress, and hardship. On this road, you're going to be crushed by the world. You're going to be squeezed by its threats. You're going to be pressured by its influences and tempted by its pleasures. However, this road is everlasting life. This road is unspeakable joy. This road is peace that passes all understanding. This road is difficult, 
but it's only difficult for a time. It leads to a life eternal in the presence of our Savior and God in whom we find perfect pleasure forevermore. The other road is death. The other road is destruction. The other road leads to hell. Though it promises a life of ease, it ends in eternal misery. At the end of this road, those who have chosen it will spend the rest of eternity in everlasting conscious torment, separated from God, never to be allowed in His presence Ever. We see here in our text a separation of two groups of people. We see disciples and non-disciples. Disciples have entered the narrow gate and have committed their lives to Jesus in spite of the difficult journey before them. All others on the broad road enjoy all the world has to offer, including its sins, wickedness, and rebellion. And as they make their way to eternal damnation, they think they have it made. Yes, those who choose the narrow road choose difficulty, but those who choose the easy road choose destruction. Not only do we see a separation between disciples and non-disciples in our text, we also see a distinction between actual disciples and apparent disciples. By apparent disciples, I mean they appear to be disciples, but they aren't actually disciples. These may have even deceived themselves into thinking that they are true disciples, but they're not. The reality is they aren't actually disciples, and the proof is their life hasn't produced good fruit. It's produced bad fruit. Those who bear bad fruit, they actually in our text fall into two groups of people. Those who lead others down the broad road, verses 15 through 20, and two, those who have been deceived by them, verses 21 through 23. Now first, Jesus, he cautioned the crowd about false teachers. They look like sheep, but they're actually ravaging or ravenous wolves. Verses 15 through 20 tells us, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. All Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs from thistles? The answer is no. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It's unfortunate, but there are people who seem to be spiritual leaders that's who Jesus is pointing to right now. I can imagine there are Pharisees in this crowd, and I can imagine Jesus maybe even looks at this section of the crowd where the Pharisees and the scribes are sitting and listening to him. In my mind, maybe my imagination is too wild, but I imagine Jesus looks at them whenever he begins to say this. And he's warning the crowds about so-called spiritual leaders they're actually teaching things that if followed will lead not to eternal life, but to eternal death. These people are dooming their followers. Jesus said in our text that there are two gates, two roads, two destinations. Following a false prophet leads to death. But how is one supposed to know if a person is a false prophet? Jesus said you look at the fruit they're producing. Now what was Jesus referring to when he said, you will recognize them by their fruit. I want you to draw a circle with me, at least a mental one, around some words in our text. 
In verse 17, we see the words, good fruit. Circle that in your mind. Or if you have a pen in your Bible, if you don't mind writing in your Bible. Verse 21, I want you to circle these words, will of my Father. And then verse 24, I want you to circle these words, these words of mine. These three phrases are connected. They're all the same thing. Those who act in the words of Jesus are doing the will of the Father, which is the fruit seen in the lives of those who are on the narrow road. All three of these are the same thing expressed differently. False prophets do not adhere to the way of Jesus. They're not living out the Father's will, and they're on the broad road heading to destruction, bringing all who listen to them with them. So, for us today, let me say, don't think that if someone has a big ministry or seems to be mightily used of God that he or she is actually a disciple. Jesus makes clear that the will of God isn't referring to mighty acts or ministry wonders. They will live their life thinking that they are disciples because of all the things that they have accomplished. But then how the turntables. In the end, they will be rejected. They will be rejected because doing the will of the Father isn't about the things that you do in His name. The will of the Father is about living out what Jesus taught. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, catch this, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are countless people who think doing God's will is found in some work or some ministry that they claim is for Jesus. You see many of these jokers on TV. Send in your money and in Jesus' name I'll pray for you and I'll send you a bottle of anointing oil and it'll make your wildest dreams come true. In the name of Jesus, people do all kinds of things. Sometimes those things look legit. Sometimes those things sound legit. But what they're doing actually has nothing to do with the will of the Father. The Father's will is not about ministry accomplishment. It's not about moral activity. It's not about prophesying or casting out demons or any so-called mighty work. The, the will of the Father is actually more basic than that. His will is that we develop character that is in line with the Beatitudes. God's will for every disciple is that they become meek and humble and merciful and pure and righteous. We see that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. His will is that we be light and salt in a dark world. Where have we heard that before? Same sermon, two chapters before. The Father's will is that you control your anger, that you overcome your lust. The Father's will is fidelity in marriage. It's commitment to your spouse. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. The will of God is honesty. Extra effort during difficult times. The will of the Father is loving others, even your enemies. His will is seen in our generosity, in our prayers, in our fastings. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. God's will is overcoming anxiety with faith. God's will is putting God's kingdom before our own kingdom. God's will is overcoming hypocrisy and eliminating a judgmental attitude. 
removing the beam from your own eye. God's will is doing for others what you would have them do for you. This is the will of the Father. The Father's will is found in the words of Jesus, and for those sitting before Jesus in that moment, the Father's will was being expressed. Fulfilling His will, i.e., following the words of Jesus, is the good fruit. It is the way of the narrow gate. So what if you pastor a megachurch? Are you like Jesus in character? So what if you start the greatest, most impactful addiction recovery program or the best family counseling ministry known to man? Are you meek? Are you humble? Are you faithful to your wife? Do you control your temper? So what if you can preach with charisma and authority? So what if you can work miracles? So what if you can pray fire down from heaven? Do you go out of your way to help your friends? Do you go out of your way to help your enemies? So what if you've given thousands of dollars to charity? Do you seek Jesus' kingdom first before your own? So what if you volunteer at every shelter in North Carolina? Do you walk by faith instead of being overcome with worry and anxiety about your needs and the needs of your family? So what if you have perfect attendance on Sunday morning for the last 100 years are you walking with Jesus through this life? Are you trying to obey every word that Jesus spoke? Are you growing to be like Jesus in character and behavior? This is the will of the Father. This is what He wants from us. Some are deceived. They think they're disciples. They even appear to others to be disciples because of the things that they do in Jesus' name. They know how to talk like disciples. They know how to walk like disciples. They even know how to serve like disciples, but they are not actually disciples. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They're not committed to obeying the teachings of Jesus. They're not like Jesus, nor are they becoming like Jesus in character or behavior. And their end is eternal separation from Jesus. They didn't actually want Jesus in this life, and they won't be able to have them in the one to come. In verses 13 and 14, we see a separation between disciples and non-disciples. In verses 15 through 23, we see a distinction between actual disciples and apparent disciples. And then in verses 24 through 27, we see the difference between altogether disciples and almost disciples. One is wise, the other foolish. He is wise because he acted on the words of Jesus. The other is a fool because he did not act on the words of Jesus. Jesus actually said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The word here in our text, it doesn't just simply mean to hear with the ear. It connotes understanding. Jesus is talking or referring to a group of people who heard what he said and understood what he meant. For 25 to 30 minutes, maybe more, I don't know, he sat in front of this large crowd of people and he shared with them what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. 
And during that time, he opened their eyes to the way of life that every follower must adhere to. He explained fully and perfectly what it means to do the Father's will. He explained and they understood what it means to walk the narrow road. They got it. They understood. Those who heard and then acted on what he had just preached, he said they are wise. By the way, they are the altogether disciples. Those who heard but did not act on what he had just said were fools. They're the almost disciples. The word foolish in our text, it means moron. It means an idiot. It means stupid. I know we don't use those words if we're proper people, but that's what Jesus said. The one who acts on his words is altogether his disciple because they have given their entire life to Jesus. They're committed to obeying every command that Jesus gave. They surrendered every area of their existence to Jesus. They are altogether his disciple. The one who understands his words but does not act on them is almost a disciple. The gospel light has been turned on and they understand what it means to follow Jesus. And the only reason why he isn't a disciple is because he hasn't chosen to be a disciple. He understands. He gets it. He has the choice. The narrow gate or the wide gate. Be a part of Jesus' kingdom or remain the king of your own kingdom or at least you think you're the king of your own kingdom. You understand. You get to choose. The almost disciple understands his choice but he doesn't make the right one. Maybe he thinks he's not making a choice at all, but in not making a choice, you're really making a choice. You're saying no to Jesus. Jesus likens the one who chooses to follow him to a wise builder who built on a steadfast, solid foundation. Jesus is likening his life to a building. On the foundation of Jesus' words, his life, no matter the storm, will stand not only in this life, but also the one to come when he stands before God in judgment. And this makes him wise because he prepared for the final judgment. <coughs> Jesus likens he who chooses not to follow him to a foolish builder who built on a shaky, shifty foundation. He built on the foundation of this world's ideas and philosophies. He built on the foundation of his own twisted version of right and wrong. He built on his own, he built on the foundation of his own works and efforts. And his life will face the same storms as the other guy, but his life will not stand. His life will crash both here and now and at the judgment. This makes him a fool. Because he did not prepare for the final judgment. If asked in the end, he will say, I was almost persuaded to follow Jesus. I almost committed to obeying his commands. I almost surrendered my life to Jesus. And when he stands before God, he will hear, almost, but not altogether, I never knew you. Depart from me. As Jesus concluded this sermon, the people who were listening were astonished. 
No doubt they stared at him and each other, all torn by the decision that each of them had to make. They had just heard someone with authority tell them eternal truth that they could not overlook. Jesus was not like the other teachers they grew up hearing. Those other teachers could not speak with confidence about heaven and hell, about life and death, about sin and salvation. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, was sitting in front of them, offering His kingdom to them, and it was His kingdom to give, and He was eager for them to have it. And so there in that moment, they had to choose. Enter the kingdom and follow Jesus, or walk away. In that moment, they had to consider the cost of following Jesus. They also had to consider the cost of not following Jesus. More than 2,000 years later, as we sit here this morning, the invitation still stands. Today, you are being confronted with the same choice. Enter the kingdom of heaven as a follower of Jesus or walk away. Commit your life to Jesus, surrender everything to Him, obey His teachings, grow in likeness to His character and behavior, be wise, obey the will of the Father, become His disciple, build your life on the words of Jesus, and enter the narrow gate that leads to eternal life, or be a fool. Ignore the Father's will. Remain a disciple of this world. Build your life on the lies of Satan and stay on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. The choice is yours and it's yours alone. Your spouse can't make it for you. Your mother and father cannot make it for you. Your closest friend cannot make it for you. And though Josh would love to, he can't make it for you. Choice is yours and yours alone. The invitation is extended to you. Will you follow Jesus and be his disciple or not? I'm glad that I said yes to Jesus 20 years ago. I'm glad that I surrendered my entire life to Jesus to follow him and obey his commands. And I hope that you will do the same. I hope that you will give your life and everything in your life to Jesus and allow Him to transform you into what He wants you to be. So please enter the narrow gate with me. Travel the long, difficult road to eternal life with me. The alternative is eternal death and destruction. My question, and I'm finished, to you is this. Will you give in to Jesus and let him have your life? Hey, thank you so much for listening. It, it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If, you, if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person. And um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast if you would kindly. 
we pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, For Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.